Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to our latest edition of Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, March 30th, 2022 edition. And I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour as usual with you. We love hearing your finance and investment questions. I'm going to give you some uh, invest, invest some perspective on the market and some, uh, some data that can hopefully help you understand the market conditions, understand the risk and reward environment that you're you're looking at. And I'm going to do my very best in that process to help you take that next step. And it might be a small step. And guess what? Most steps in this game are because uh, there's no holy grail. There's only making sound, smart, risk-reward decisions. And a lot of factors go into that. You have to understand your situation in context, everyone else's, in context of the market. And that's what I'm going to give you the tools to do. Now, we can't sit down with every single one of you, unpack all of your situations one by one, but we can give you the tools to do it yourself. And for the most for most of you, you might be able to do it if you have the time, the expertise, the discipline. And all of those things go into consistently making good decisions. Now we're in a market where volatility is rising. And that means opportunities are also rising opportunities to succeed and opportunities to fail. And I want you to succeed. I need you to succeed. I will help you succeed and get you ready to act, whether that is to avoid particular risks or to take advantage of opportunities. So on this podcast, and I'm going to operate with my mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success, which means I'm here to present everything without bias, don't have an axe to grind. I'm just going to give you the facts as I see them, a lot of data, a lot of perspective, over 20 plus years of investment experience. So I encourage you to reach out to me right now with your finance and investment questions from four to five Pacific time, 
or if you're listening after hours on our podcast or maybe on our website, you can leave your message on our Invest Talk Voice Bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888 chart. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Dave from Minnesota. My question is about Vestas Wind Systems, ticker symbol VWDRY. It's currently made a good run, and I'm about even on it now. I'm wondering on your thoughts about the future of this company and if I should hold it or get rid of it and put it somewhere else. Thanks. Bye. All right. VWDRY. Let's take a look here. It's a leading manufacturer of wind turbines with the highest installed capacity under service in the world. It has two business segments, power solutions and services. They design, manufacture, install onshore as well as offshore wind turbines. And the services segment performs maintenance on those turbines. Accounts for approximately 19, the U.S. accounts for approximately 19% of revenue. So you're getting a lot of foreign exposure. So that's good. Now, the chart is in a downtrend. It peaked, let's go to a weekly chart, zoom out a little bit. Oh, well, peaked, uh, peaked, yeah, with a lot of the growth stocks in early 2021 in January. And that's what you're paying for here. It's a, it's a green energy play. Uh, let me take a look at some of the data. Now it's market cap is right around 30 billion enterprise value of 27 billion. I like that, or that there's not a lot of debt. It means there's about $3 billion in net debt on its balance sheet. But its free cash flow trailing 12 months is only 120 million. That's not that much for a business that's growing modestly, but not dramatically. It's not a 50, 60% revenue grower, it's uh, closer to 10 to 20%. Free cash flow yield is very meager. And its return on equity recently has, has been dropping from 22% in 2019 all the way down to 3%. Now, is that higher input costs? What's driving that? I really need to know that. Is the 2014 to 2020 period, is that more like their typical operating environment? where return equity was 20 to 30% range, very good. But recently it's fallen back. Why is that? You, you would think with more wind installations, more opportunity for their business, that their margins would expand. Their margins are shrinking. Operating margins in 2016 were almost 14%. Now they're two and a half. So I don't like that trend, and I need to know whether that is persistent, what's driving that. And I would need to look, need to look at his performance or the, uh, the, the earnings reports, et cetera, and get some guidance from uh, maybe an industry expert, uh, somebody uh, within the company, et cetera. So I don't like the chart. I don't like that uh, operating trend, and therefore I'm passing on it. Let's go to James in New York. He wants to talk about purchasing a car. How are you tonight? Good, good. How can I help you? Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you are aware, like, out there at the moment, it's kind of like a nightmare trying to lease a car. Um, mm -hmm. I've never been big on leasing before, but the payments are just through the roof. Mm -hmm. So I have the means to buy a car outright in cash if I want to, and I also have 
I believe, an offer for zero uh, percent for forty-eight months. So I don't. That seems like as good as it gets out there in terms of buying. But are you for buying a car? Do you think I know it's not? It's a depreciating asset by all means, but I feel as though it's like pay for it in cash, own it, and get it out of the way. And I kind of like that idea, but I'm sort of torn given the current state of affairs of leasing being so high. I just want to see what you might suggest. Yeah, great question. We don't get a lot of these questions on the show, but I love them. Uh, now, if you go talk to my grandfather, uh, who um, he, he was the one that kind of instilled to me that, you know, you buy a car and you drive it for 10, 15, 20 years driving to the ground. And that is definitely long term the best the best plan if you are okay with doing that now he, he had a bmw when i was younger and he drove that thing for geez at least 20 years and steve he said cars you know a decade plus for sure he has a, an old jeep his wife uh, won't get get rid of <laughs> um and so from a financial perspective it's always better to buy and just hold for a long period of time now, that's if you are okay with it. Other people, they like to buy cars and, and get kind of newer newer cars that are have better technology, uh, more comfortable, kind of the, the creature comforts that uh, they, they want to get a new car every three to five years. And if you're in that camp where you don't want a car for 10 years, you want the latest and greatest, then leasing is better. Because you have optionality. You can give the car back. And if it's, wor if it's worth less than your residual, a lot of people don't know this. And recently, maybe people have gotten word that, hey, if you have a lease and you're coming off lease, you don't just have to give it back. In fact, you could make money by, uh, you can still get a new car. You just buy out your old car. And right now, we use car value so high, you're going to earn a profit. Uh, between the two and you sell it and then you can go use that on maybe a new car. And so there's that optionality there and it protects you from depreciating the, the, the car depreciating value dramatically over a short period of time after you buy it. So it's kind of like a, a smile where uh, when, when it comes to ownership, where you, uh, you lose out early um, and with a lease that protects you, right? Because your your loss is quick because of depreciation in the in the first few years. And then eventually you start to, if you actually own the car uh, uh, in latter years, you get to make up a, a lot of that by not having a car payment. Okay, uh, so that's the way to think about it. If you're okay with holding a long term, that's definitely by far the best financial play. But if you're somebody who likes the newest and greatest every few years, leasing is a much better way to go. Now, Steve and I are grateful for your podcast support and our free downloads will continue. But I want to make you some aware of some of the benefits of working. Or, uh, sorry, so one of the, aware of two other ways to find our unbiased guidance. And that is Invest Talk has a YouTube channel as well as an Instagram following. So head over there and search Invest Talk and give us a follow. Now, the Invest Talk phone lines are open. So give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. Eight 
the Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. No question is too simple. Wanted to ask about Teladoc. And each question is an important part of the podcast. My wife has a rollover 401k from a previous employer. I was curious if this is eligible to be used to do a backdoor Roth. Steve and Justin are fearless. That's fairly inexpensive for this kind of explosive growth. The problem here is that you're picking a leveraged ETF. Tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk. You've been instrumental in my understanding how this market works. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Glenn in Hayward. Wants to talk about savings bonds. So I'm just kind of curious, Justin, I know you and Steve seem to feel the same way, but I'm curious if your aversion to I-savings bonds is based more on maybe you don't have enough knowledge about them or you just feel a little threatened by a safe investment paying over 7%. I have no problem with uh, I-bonds at all. I think uh, if you have safe uh, if, if you have cash that you don't want to touch and you don't want principal risk, then they can be fine with kind of keeping up with inflation. You're not really going to do better than that, but you aren't going to do worse than inflation either. Um, and remember, the 7% is what it's paying today. Uh, and as inflation ebbs and flows, you know, every six months, that's going to... Uh, reset. So what that yield is two, three years from now is could be drastically lower. It could be back down to one or two percent. Um, so I, I have no aversion at all to them at all. I, I think there's no reason. No, there's no. I would never say don't buy one. I would just have to. You have to understand the the risks and rewards. That's really what it's all about. That's what any investment's about: risk versus rewards. I bonds. They have liquidity issues. Are they illiquid? No. They just aren't as liquid as cash or money market or uh, a, 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 an equity, especially the first year. Um, so, you know, I, 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 when you characterize myself, I, I'm not sure about Steve. I haven't actually talked to Steve directly about I-bonds. But you're talking about me, I definitely don't have a strong aversion to them. I just want to make sure people understand that in an environment where inflation is likely to be persistently high, you're, you're not going to, they're, they're an inflation hedge, but you're not going to really get much above that. Um, but maybe that's not your goal. Maybe your goal is just to keep up inflation and keep the principal safe. And if that's the case, then I-bonds, which are limited to $10,000 per year, uh, can be a decent way to go. 
Now, we're moving into a break, and on the other side, we have another call waiting for Invest Talk Answers at 888 chart You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. We're talking to Sid in Toronto looking at restoration hardware. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Hi, Justin. Good evening. Uh, thanks for taking my call, and mm-hmm. it's been very <clears throat> value added service that you're giving to the portfolio. So, thank you so much. Uh, I'm having this talk in my radar for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, since last October, it has gone down significantly, including today. So I just want to <clears throat> reassess the value and if he, in your experience, what is the technical analysis and should we buy this for a long term? Uh, really appreciate your thoughts. Thank you so much. No problem. This is Restoration Hardware, and they boomed during the pandemic. Made seven dollars and seventy cents a share in 2019, and as last year, full year last year, they made twenty six dollars and twelve cents. So, as consumers were flush with with cash, people were buying new homes, moving a lot. They were um, their portfolios were high, especially those wealthy. Were remember Restoration Hardware, uh, or now called RH, they. They, they cater to the upper middle class, the, the upper class, uh, the wealthy. And they have good margins because of that. And as uh, people had money, they were willing and able to uh, pay up for that sofa, that chair, that coffee table, etc. And that's why their, their business boomed. Now, they did have an earnings announcement last night. And earnings were up 12% year over year. Revenues up 11%. But the CEO came on and really kind of went off on the market environment, the economic environment, excuse me, the inflation environment, and how much uncertainty he felt about the economy and his business. And that makes sense when a lot of the, the froth has come out of the tech bubble and Equity values in general are, are down, not dramatically, um, but for those that typically buy restoration hardware, they, their stocks probably were. And I think that's a headwind. Uh, you also have difficulty in production and, and uh, the supply chain. And they talked a lot about that and increasing costs of shipping, et cetera. Now, the stock was down about 10%, low over 12% today. And it was trying to rebound off some major support around $330 per share. Remember, it's still down 55% from its 52-week high. Uh, but the fact that, that this bounce was met with selling after the earnings announcement tells me this wants to go to that next major support level. And that's right around $240, $245 per share, which is where it kind of broke out back in mid-2020, June timeframe. And that would be major support. And frankly, this is on my watch list as well. Earnings expectations for this year are now to drop slightly, a few, few pennies on earnings, but rebound next year. Uh, whether that's sustainable, I don't know. 
But still, so it's to make $26, $28 per share this year, next year on a $334 stock, that's pretty cheap. Cheapish. Now, is it cheap enough, given the economic backdrop and uncertainty? Probably not. But at 240, 245, absolutely a level where I would want to pick it up. So that's, well, I have an alert in my system. It's on my watch list. Below 250, talk to me. That's where I would think about picking it up. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on this question. Is international diversification really necessary? Now, adding overseas exposure is usually one of the first steps towards building a diversified portfolio. But has that helped create diversification of portfolio over the past few years? And maybe why that trend will continue and why it may not. So we're going to look at that data. And then what the war in Ukraine is saying about sustainable investing and ESG and what's, uh, what are the correlations after the, the breakout of war? And then there's a bipartisan bill going through Congress in regards to 401k plans and how that could potentially change it. And then lastly, the IPO, IPO playbook. The IPO market is kind of shut, but it's likely to open back up sometime in the next year. And what will that ultimately look like? So we're going to look at those uh, those stories today. But ultimately, I want to hear from you. 8899 chart is how you get through and ask your question today. Now, the S&P today was down 29 points, a little over half a percent. So modest down day there. Definitely into some resistance on the indices, uh, the NYSE up into the breakdown level from early, mid-February. So uh, it remains a very choppy market. And I do think the risk versus reward of the next three to five months is probably the downside. Liquidity is drying up, probably more towards the back half of the Q2. But uh, I see that this is an opportunity to start to rebalance your portfolio. Take some chips off the table, maybe raise a little cash and start to think about what you want your portfolio to look like over the next few years. Especially if you've been in some growthier names, they've gotten a rally lately. Take advantage of this rally. Now the next invest talk, the story behind this headline, the mortgage refinance demand plunges 60% as rates hit their highest level since 2018. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, 
you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E. Dot com, HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. I wondered what you thought of BGS and wondered if you would hold it right now or if you would sell it. I know that it's a small cap value, which is perhaps a tricky place to be in. I have been moving away or moving into value, but I know that Justin and Steve have mentioned that Perhaps being in small caps not the best place to be right now. So I wondered if you thought I should hold on to it or if I should get rid of it. I'm still up from um, when I bought it, not too much, but I see that it's been moving down quite a lot recently. Would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Well, you are correct that in a slowing economic environment, small caps are tend to be less in favor. So that's one reason you're seeing some pressure here. But what BGS does is, this is B&G Foods, they make shelf-stable foods, not your fresh foods, 
your Canon box foods. And they have a lot of different brands, including cream of wheat, cream of rice, carries. Let's see what else. Grandma's cookies, etc. Smart puffs. And the issue here is, I think inputs. That inflate all value stocks are not created equal. This would be small cap value. But there are different types of sectors. Some value sectors will do well in an inflationary environment. Some will not. And let me tell you, consumer staples, for the most part, are not going to do well, especially when ag prices are rising. And I think that's the issue here, is that their input costs are going up. And do they have the ability to pass on their higher costs to the consumer at the grocery store? That's the big question. And the market is telling you probably not. And they have a lot of debt. So they need margins to sustain that. The chart is in a downtrend. Had a little bounce recently, but I failed big time today. So I'd be selling B&G Foods. I like the company in general, typically in a low inflationary environment. In this environment, I wouldn't own it. Now, my focus point today is based on the story, based on this question. Is international diversification necessary? And typically, adding overseas exposure is the first step to building a diversified portfolio. And most investors carve out something for non-U.S. stocks to kind of supplement their maybe domestic stocks or bonds. But international equities are subject to different types of risk factors. Some can be beneficial at times and others not so much. Things like local currency, local market conditions, so what the local economy is doing there. Currency movements, whether it's getting stronger or weaker. And then what the economy is exposed to. How much, I mean, what, what type of industries dominate their, their country. For example, here in the U.S., one of the reasons why U.S. Uh, stocks have done well recently is because we are heavily in tech, heavily tech-focused. Some of the most of the largest tech companies are here in the U.S., but in other countries, maybe more dominated by natural resources. For example, Australia. Then you have to throw in political climate. Climate. Think of what's happening in Russia. Now, different asset classes performed over the past few years and, and how correlations between those have changed uh, and what changes mean for investors. Now, there's still a case for including international stocks in a diversified portfolio. And the diversification benefits haven't been as great recently. In fact, it's the track from market performance over the past decade or so. And this also depends on what type of foreign exposure you've had. So emerging markets, Japan, for example, they have had the lowest correlation to U.S. markets. But if you invest in developed markets, those have been a lot more tightly correlated with what our stock market has done. Now, Latin America over the past five years, has only a 0.58% correlation to 
to the U.S. markets, whereas previously it was closer to 0.8%. And I think a lot of that has to do with the diversity of their businesses. Growth sectors, technology, have dominated our markets, like I said, and more value-focused sectors dominate Latin America. Think of basic materials, financials. So international stocks, adding international stocks to your portfolio does reduce risk slightly, but in a more diver, more uh, globalized world, that has actually detracted from returns, mainly because the dollar's been strong. Correlations between U.S. and international markets have typically been lower, such as to 04 to 08. That's when the dollar was in decline and you got a nice boost from having international exposure. So a lot of the international exposure is just a bet on the dollar. It's a big part of it. Now, in the 70s, the correlation between non-U.S. and U.S. stocks was only 0.12%. So it was a great diversifier. In the 80s, it was 0.29. Still good. 0.54 in the 90s, and has has almost gotten to one uh, over the past uh, decade or so. And so, what this is showing is that I actually think this is going to reverse because of de deglobalization and more regional supply chains, and you're suddenly going to have more diversity around the world. I think in industries. And I think you should still have exposure to foreign markets. I wouldn't use these last few years as a gospel. This is going to stay that way forever. Um, but a lot of it, once again, has to do with your bet on whether the dollar is going to strengthen or weaken. Now let's feed in, fit in another iTunes review question. Logan from Virginia says, I inherited about $10,000 as currently invested in a two-year CD, but I'm looking to move the money once the CD expires. What are a few options you would suggest I move the money into? Well, that's hard for me to say because I don't know your risk tolerance level as well as your use for this money. Is this money now going to be put down on a down payment on a house? Are you going to earmark it for a, a retirement? Then you probably want to put it in some sort of tax deferred account like a IRA, Roth IRA, 401k. And then you have you know, long-term money to invest in kind of whatever you want. If it's short-term, and like I said, you want to put you want to buy a house with it, well, you probably want to put it in a high-yield money market account. Now, if you're retired, I don't know, maybe you're close to retirement. Maybe that's more of uh, high-quality bonds, corporate bonds, yielding, and we're getting five and a half, six percent now. Maybe that's a place you want to be. So it's hard for me to really say without knowing your full financial picture. But I would say having it in a CD is probably in almost any scenario uh, that you have is probably not the best way to go. So the fact that you're cashing it out is a good decision. Thanks for the review. 8899 chart. Let's keep things moving and go back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier from Denver. Hello, Justin and Steve. This is Sharon calling from Denver, Colorado. I love the show as always, listening for years. Question about a Fidelity OTC port mutual fund. The ticker is F like Foxtrot, O like Oscar, C like Charlie, P like Papa, X 
like X-ray. And just wanted to see it's a tech mutual fund, but it focuses more on smaller and uh, mid-cap size companies. So just wanted to get your take on it with the recent route. Keep up the good work and thank you. Have a great day. All right, looking at Fidelity OTC, the symbol is F-O-C-P-X. And what's interesting here is the name. OTC is uh, typically viewed as over-the-counter. So over-the-counter are pink sheet stocks, usually, and it is uh, difficult to trade, small cap. And that's typically what OTC stands for. Now, I don't know if they invested those in the past, but that's not what they invest in today. So you talked about small mid-cap companies. Uh Uh-uh. These are all almost all very large cap growth names. Top holdings, Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet, Amazon, Meta Platforms, Marvel Technologies, NVIDIA, Reliance Industries, and Tesla. Those are the top 10. Microsoft's 12%, Apple's 11%, Alphabet is, if you combine both of their share classes, about 10.5%. So this is 43% technology, 22% communication services, 16% consumer cyclicals. This is the exact opposite of what I would want to invest in. This is actually, if I could short a mutual fund, this is probably a good candidate. It has 0% basic materials, basically 0% real estate, 1% industrials, only 3.5% in energy. And I almost guarantee those are probably uh, green energy. So, no, absolutely not. This is, this is exactly the type of setup that you want to be short, not long. So I would run, you can see, look at the chart, it's in downtrend, it's got a little bounce recently. So if you own it, you got to be selling into this rally. Um, and yeah, so run far, far away from Fidelity OTC. I'm just doing a little correlation here. Yeah. I mean, it's been a down, been in a downtrend compared to the S&P. It had a big breakdown in, let's see, September. That was probably tax, tax uh, yeah. So it's basically t- topped in August 2020 compared to the S&P. It's been a downtrend since, and I expect the downtrend to last for a long, long time. Now we're almost through the first quarter. Second quarter begins just this Friday. So 2022 is moving right along. And if you have a setup in your portfolio, similar to FOCPX, Fidelity OTC, and you want help understanding how to make it better, how to make it successful in this market, well, reach out to me. At our company, KPP Financial, where we operate with, independent, which, with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success, which means we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air, and we practice parallel investing. I mean, we invest right alongside our clients. Same percentage, same price, the same time. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings. Send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP Financial office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Next up, another unbiased answer to a listener question, and we'll play that question in 60 seconds. So hang on. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to Invest Talk. 
So please tell your friends and family members about the free InvestTalk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and InvestTalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24-7. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. My name is Brandon from Oklahoma, and I had a question for y'all. I've been seeing a lot of talks about, you know, obviously inflation's real high and people thinking it's going to keep running high. My goal for retirement is, you know, to have, I'll just say, like, at least a million dollars. And then I hear replies about that saying, well, a million dollars in 30, 40 years isn't going to be nearly enough due to, you know, 7% a year inflation. And, you know, they throw numbers out. I was just kind of wanting to get y'all's you know, take on, you know, a million dollars for retirement, say 30 years from now, because to me that would, you know, at a 4% withdrawal rate plus social security and pension, I'd be bringing in more money than me and my wife working right now. So, uh, yeah, I was just kind of curious and let's take on, you know, kind of, I guess, inflation of the dollar and uh, what you need in retirement, you know, is what you have today going to be enough then kind of thing. Thank you very much. I look forward to hearing your answer. I think that's absolutely true. I think you're talking about 30, 40 years from now, a million dollars will definitely not be what it's worth today. It's just the trends and, and uh, inflation is likely to be high over that time period. You know, baby boomers are have retired in mass post the 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 COVID crisis, and we have an undersupply of labor here in the U.S. And so we either need to fill that with immigrants, or we're going to have higher inflation. Then there's really no other way around it. It's just simply math and demographics. And then you have regional supply chains that are popping up that are becoming, uh, you know, having deglobalization, which has been a trend for 30 years was, was increasing globalization. And 08 actually peaked globalization. And we've been in a downtrend since and COVID just accelerated that and the war accelerated that again. <clears throat> so don't think pick a number a million dollars and think that that's going to be the same today as it is even 10 years from now. It's not going to feel the same. And so this is where just the financial plan comes in and modeling out those cash flows, income, expenses, and anchoring it to inflation and seeing where you need to be. And that's what you know we do for clients. And that's what a good financial advisor will do is explain what your financial picture, picture is likely to look like 10, 20, 30 years from now based on your spending, savings, and investment habits. I'd reach out to one. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we're going into our final break. So give me a call now at 888 chart The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Let's talk a little about ESG, environmental, social, and governance investing. And most ESG investors, they pride themselves on doing the right thing. The big problem, though, is that 
what is doing the right thing exactly? And oftentimes the public mood, either for moral reasons or because it matters to the customers, suppliers, and employees of the company, it changes. And what was the right thing to do before the Russia invaded Ukraine has suddenly shifted. Before it was about ESG cutting carbon emissions and that excluded defense stocks because makers of weapons, nuclear weapons, bombs, mines, etc. That was an ESG. But now that nuclear nuclear deterrence is a big topic, suddenly maybe it's not so bad. Maybe ditching the nukes isn't the best way to go. And ESG is early in its life cycle and the marketplace is trying to figure out what that means. Like I've said before on the show, there's no uniform standard and that makes it hard for companies and investment funds to navigate. ESG didn't really think about the risks of investing in Russia, for example, European companies with big operations in Russia before the war had significantly higher overall ESG scores and human rights scores than those that didn't invest in there. So now is that shift? If you have operations in Russia, are you now no longer given good ESG scores? In the first 12 days of the war, lower rated companies in, in, in terms of ESG, they suspended and divested their Russian assets quicker than those with higher ratings. So does that mean you're better ESG? Should those get a boost and the ones the higher ratings that didn't pull out, they get, they get dinged. So the big question is how do you manage as moral shift? Now that you have high oil and gas prices, what's more important, making sure people stay warm, stay fed, have transportation or climate change. Five months ago, there was the climate summit. All the world leaders agreed to phase out fossil fuels. Well, now the UK is cutting taxes on fuel, trying to shield its households from higher costs of, of energy. Gulf states are, are drilling more. The US is calling on frackers to pump more. And then ESG is not talking about the risks. And how do you anticipate the shifts in policy by governments, new taxes, regulations, sanctions? ESG doesn't bring that into account. Okay, so uh, another kind of, I think, shot across the bow that, hey, there needs to be some uniformity. And the question is, can they ever get to a uniformity that actually makes real impact? And I'm still not sure yet. But I think we can squeeze in one more caller question. So let's play it now. Hello, we'd like to get your opinion on Canadian Natural Resources LTD. The ticker symbol is CNQ. Thank you. All right, Canadian Natural Resources CNQ. Uh, we like this name. It's on our watch list. It is a Canadian oil and gas exploration company, Western Canada, North Sea, and West Africa. 
and uh, clearly benefiting from higher commodity prices, higher energy prices. And I think uh, it will continue. Um, now, is there going to be volatility over the next uh, three to six months with oil prices because of uh, maybe talks of peace deals? That was kind of uh, what you've heard the last few days. Um, and, and you have to be aware of that. But longer term, uh, I like CNQ. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which we have now crossed over the 40 million download mark as of Sunday night, thanks to you. So get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. Your rating helps raise our profile and spread the word. And if you leave a brief question with your rating, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.